With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. We all carry different stresses, big and small. It could be from work, stuff going on at home, or just from supporting a football team. You flatter to deceive, and as the bedsheets have always said, let us down. We often bottle up these stresses and try and keep a lid on them, but when you do that, it can start to affect you negatively. That's where therapy comes in. It gives you a place to get these things off your chest, get down to root cause, and figure out how to work through what's weighing you down. Therapy is there to help develop positive uh, coping skills. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's about empowering you to be the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not look and give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, developing to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Our listeners can get 10% off their first month using the code betterhelp.com slash wanderers. That's betterhelp.com slash wanderers. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> it would be a walk, but eh? Hello and welcome to today's <laughs> Go off to a cracker there. Uh, hello and welcome to this episode of Wolves Fancast. The people listening on podcast will not understand why we just burst out laughing. Um, so it means you've got to go check it out on YouTube, everybody. Joining me on this wonderful Monday night, a week before Christmas, I've got Ed, Matt and Michael. Um, we're going to be talking, obviously, about the defeat to West Ham. Uh, have a look at the busy Christmas period that we've coming up as well. And also looking a little bit forward to January as well. Um, after a John Percy um, article earlier today about, well, basically trying to get rid of some players at the moment. Um, before we go on to the game, um, really keen to catch up with Matt and Michael because you both do the um, commentary stuff at Wolves. Um, mm-hmm. And I was going to say, really great sort of bit of PR and press the other day, uh, say the other day, the other week around it, and um, it seems to be going from strength to strength at the moment. Yeah, we, we were kind of blindsided, weren't we? We'd come to the the, yeah. the the mirror came in and did some like did uh, some coverage with us midway through doing commentary, and kind of we were all penned in, and uh, it was me and um, Ruben were doing it. It was another one of the chaps that uh, does it, and um, well, any press is good press, and all the plaudits really go to to Laura at um, Wolves who does a fantastic amount of work for disability and accessibility. And Michael's been doing it longer than me. He's very much the uh, grizzled young veteran in, in this and kind of taught me 
uh, a thing or two in that uh, sphere as well. So I put a lot of credit to him. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I wasn't actually there for the mirror piece, but I can imagine it being stressful, like Matt, Matt said, because I don't know if he said it before, but where you sit in the press area or where we sit is on the back row and behind us are these like flippy desks that they've just yeah. not fixed at Molyneux. And every week without fail, we have, it's not normally journalists or reporters sitting behind us. It's normally fans who've got the seats. I'm not sure how, but yeah, most weeks without fail, there's a drink that spills over us or maybe not over us. That's a bit over the top, but in our direction. As a like a, a vegetarian this time of year who's craving bovril, I've got to turn around with my mouth open, hoping a bit of bovril will fall into my mouth. <laughs> Very much reminiscent of a scene of The Simpsons um, yes. with, with Barney, I'm imagining. Um, I was going to say, small plug as well for yourself, Michael, um, as you, I was going to say, you do a, your own podcast as well, yeah, so I've been doing a couple for a while, but next year I'm launching like very much my own one. Um, it's called At World Ranking Pod, which I've put in the name for today. And it's just going to be basically exclusively about international football. I won't go on for it too long, but yeah, there's loads of major tournaments next year. There's Euros, AFCON, AFC, the um, Asia Cup, uh, Copper America as well. And the point of it is to try and make sure we're trying to t- tell in stories that aren't really always that told so whilst we'd be focusing a lot on the tournaments next year you know it's about filling those gaps between the international breaks where everybody thinks international football disappears but for many areas in the world it doesn't so yeah if, if you fancy something a bit different from the rigors of club football and i suspect a few Wolves fans might do after when west ham's game um yeah have, have, have a listen we start start of january next year I say that sounds really fascinating, especially you know, when you consider the amount of Wolves players who are likely to to feature in some of those uh, tournaments, particularly with um, I think Lamina. Uh, uh, Lamina Wolves. isn't so Lamina. Oh, I thought was for ages, oh. but Gabon didn't qualify. So I think we're a bit actually better off. I mean, I think Bubakar Traore is also on the periphery of the Mali squad, mm. so we might actually not be too hard done by, but. If it's an excuse to make some signings, it might be a good well, thing. Well, ex- ex- exactly, exactly, because we do sort of need them, don't we? Um, and I know, like looking at the lineup yesterday, um, it was the first time in quite a number of weeks Gary O'Neill kind of reverted to a Mac four, and I, I guess kind of before we drop into the the lineup, it it was only announced after the game, I guess, but quite a number of the players were suffering from. Um, a, a virus as well. I mean, did anyone else kind of get a little bit funny when they saw it? Because I, I saw it and I thought it looked just a, I know, just a bit odd, oddly shaped. You know, you've got uh, Tossie playing at left back, despite the fact you've got two left backs on the bench, for example. It it looked just a little bit mishmash for me. Um, Matt, what were your kind of thoughts on the lineup? Yeah, it was a strange one. Not really having a handle on 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 shape of that i know that the last couple of games forest and burnley uh, have been a bit lacking create creatively a little bit starved of any excitement in those games so whether gary o'neill was looking to kind of mix things up or whether it felt like this was just the survivors of a particularly difficult christmas do or something like that i just don't know like uh, with the kind of viruses and things that are going around the camp I suppose you never know, but then I think it was Lamina um, and one other had said, you know, I want to play. You have to commend that 
Um, but the change in formation away from home where we've um, struggled as of late, I saw a stat earlier that we've only beaten Southampton, I think Burnley and Bournemouth away in like years and years, um, in the last two campaigns or something. It doesn't seem like the right place to make radical changes. Yeah, and I think um, particularly when you look at I know I, I didn't see there being much issues with the formation with Wolves in terms of things like that. We looked a bit more steady at the back. You know, our, our wing backs were getting involved, even Bueno when he was stepping in for eight Nori. Um, but particularly when West Ham had got you know battered the week before, it, I know it, it's like, it, it struck me as an odd time to change. I, I'm genuinely interested in you know whether that was, I guess flu related or whether that was you know something of O'Neill's own invention uh, mm. I don't know I think I think the same Wolves team that played okay regardless of formation changes the same Wolves team that played um, Burnley and Forest I think would have lost by a relatively similar scoreline I don't think we would have mm. challenged them too much I think just been generally quite flat over the last few games but yeah, I know what you meant about the, f- the formation was weird. It's a weird hybrid between a bat five and a bat four. And then the, the bit I didn't get was Kilman and Dawson sticking on those sides. Yeah. When the only f- theory I had was Dawson was there to stop a left footer cutting in and your Kudis and Bowen coming in off the right. But I think they both comfortably had the pace to get past him. So I don't think it worked <laughs> very well. well that they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Doesn't take an awful lot, does it? Um, but you're right, and I, I know a, a lot was sort of said pre-match, and um, Gully Molyneux Musings was very um, vocal in the fact that you know we are very much a four a four at the back when we don't have the ball and the shape um, has always been quite fluid. But it seemed to me that they'd have had to have relied on you know effectively one of those attackers you know, whether it be Bellegarde or Sarabia or Huang, to be able to fill in as a hybrid left wing back. And I don't think that frankly suits any of their Mm. games, does it? Um, No. I was going to say, the other um, one, Ed, was uh, Saar apparently dropping out um, late doors with a a shoulder injury um, and nothing to do with being linked to um, Saudi Arabia, as um, Stu said. Yeah, I think there's a there's two ways to spell in Saudi Arabia, and one of them's shoulder instead of uh, Saudi, isn't it? So, um, yeah, Dan Bentley, I'm sure will cover the goals. Didn't really cover himself in glory, but that was a was a surprise. And I think just to touch on um, the the change to four at the back, I think I'm sure Golly will do a GTA if he hasn't done it already. Will do it for me. I felt like West Ham are an out to in team, so I think we needed to pack that midfield and middle a bit more. And three centre-backs would naturally have done that anyway. Um, and I think it was a hybrid yesterday. Lamina, um, Matt tried to pause me in the group because I said Lamina was really deep at one point. Um, and uh, he was. And I, I wondered if he was supposed to be the de facto third centre-back at times. But it just didn't work yesterday. And and uh, we, I think if you needed any more proof that Dan Bentley isn't a number one, I think we saw that yesterday. Yeah, I did have a very cool joke lined up after the first goal, which was, it was very fitting, his name's Dan Bentley, because you could fit a car between him and his near post. Uh, but that, <laughs> felt, that felt too cruel to 
post online, but not cruel enough for me to tell you guys and the, <laughs> the, the, the tens of people listening. Um, but you're right, it, it did sort of seem like we had this tactical idea that just didn't quite pan out at certain points. And I mean, the, the, the one minor relief and it sounds quite bad when i uh when i phrase it was like like that is we didn't concede inside the first 15 minutes we could dine on that all day long yeah um <laughs> yeah i mean not for, without want to try and though i didn't you know gary o'neill came out didn't he and he said that the game was very much like lost on moments as opposed to lost on the whole and um like defensively for the three goals were um you know really really the basics the fundamentals and they just i don't know what it is about us getting going in the start of games at the moment why it's taking kind of so long for us to have to like suck us for punishment really like we can't get going it's like a morrissey album like it, we absolutely need to be miserable before we can perform anything of any decent value it's it's just it seems like we have to suffer before we get before we can actually turn things on in a game. It's a kind of a bizarre complex that's going on at Wolves at the moment. Um, yeah, the goals weren't good enough. And I, I do agree with Gully somewhat in his comments where he says that there wasn't... I don't know if there was too much in between the two squads other than West Ham's chances were taken. Like There was some spectacular offensive ability with some spectacularly bad defending and it was a game built on moments like i said as opposed to poor performance i think yeah uh, but it, it's really hard to like marry that up with the the genuine fact of conceded free goals though mm. and uh, uh, i don't know there's been slightly too many performances now um in the, the first half of the season and I, I'm not saying we wheeled out the Gnometer or anything like that, but there have been quite a few performances now where, you know, I, I think of like the Brighton game where we got pumped at home effectively. And that felt similar in terms of we we're playing against the team. We, we didn't play awful, but we just had this kind of complete mental switch off at all the wrong times and got severely punished for it. And, Part of it, again, must be tactical, but part of it's surely the, the mental aspects as well. Um, and, you know, particularly for the for the first goal, um, scored, um, Gary Neal said afterwards, and I, I do commend him for saying this, um, the fact that uh, Toti decides to commit uh, forward too early for the first goal is my fault, not Toti's. We'll make sure to tidy those uh, bits up. And I, I get it, but also... There was other things in that first goal, wasn't there? I think one of the things that's a bit problematic as well with um, Gary O'Neill's approach to this, and you know they're probably the best two examples, the West Ham and the Brighton one. And with Totti, I mean that's good that he's at least recognising it. Um, probably other than Newland Lopetegui, probably turn his back to the game for the rest of it. But I think one of the things that's problematic is yeah, it's all well and good saying that we're toe for toe, toe to toe with similar to we're playing at a similar level to these teams. But when you're losing to a team 3-0 after 2-0, after 2-0 versus Brighton or something, you can't assume that they're going to be playing with the same they might be playing with more freedom, but they're definitely not playing with the same intensity that they were playing at one or two 0 And for us to say that 
the overall balance of the game was like that. And I know, obviously, classic cliche, goals change games and whatnot. But, yeah, it just didn't quite sit with me very well. And I was, yeah, really underwhelmed with those comments because I think, like you said, I think there's quite a few fundamental problems with that game. And creativity, I thought, was a massive one as well. Yeah, that that, that first goal, um, Totti's high. Um, and therefore out of position. And if Gary's sort of taken that on the chin, that's where he wants him. For me, Semedo holds up the play enough, and then Dawson, rather than goes to the ball, he retreats even further. That's a mistake that is not tactical. That's just a decision, isn't it, that that Dawson's made to to retreat instead of you know go to the ball. I mean, you play five aside at goals. Everyone just shouts. Someone needs to go to the ball, and that's what needs to happen at that point. Semedo's held the ball, up, held the ball up with the player with Kudus, and he's done everything he can, in my opinion, to stop that particular phase of the play. But then, what should then happen is someone should double up on that because Dawson's not marking anybody. He's not covering a run. He doesn't engage the ball, and therefore Semedo's done his job, and then he's two steps away from where the ball's going to go. And yeah, Dan Bentley, like you said you know, standing there like Frosty the Snowman, just in the middle of his goal, nowhere near his near post. And it just happens to to find the middle of the goal instead of even the corner. I think there's, there was effort levels in yesterday's game, I think picking up from what Michael said, that is is what I think is the hardest thing to, to swallow, isn't it? There, there seemed to be a distinct lack of get up and go in, the, in between the two teams. One of them, granted, is the home team on the back of a 5-0, but there wasn't much between the two teams on paper and on the pitch, I don't think. I just think there was, other than Paqueta being a difference maker yesterday, no one in West Ham overly impressed me. No, well, I was going to say Paqueta got all three assists uh, yesterday. Um, and very much, you, I was going to say, when you look at where the assists went, very much exploited, um, I guess, our left-back area, which is really surprising and frustrating because I think Tony Gomez has been one of our standout players when he's played in a back three but it definitely felt like we didn't do enough to stop their strengths mm. nor did it's we good. show up our weaknesses I guess. Yeah I mean it's a good job Gary uh, I know came out of his comments about uh, Toto's positioning because <laughs> like the way he cantered and meandered like for the second tracking back it was literally like, mm. like I, I thought my I thought my streamers had gone awry. Like <laughs> they put fifty p back in the modem because yeah, he, you know it, that intensity, that buster gut at all costs. You know there was there were cries for people saying that like naive we're we're too naive. We're not putting in those yellow cards on the transition that you you put in like halfway up the pitch mm. because you know you know the tactical fouls that we we should we should. Be putting in, yeah. Gary O'Neill's actually done him a huge favour with those comments, really, because I thought he had a poor, poor game. Yeah, I, I think so too. Unfortunately, I, I quite like Toti Gomez, and you could argue, you could argue, Bellegarde doesn't do enough to. Uh, I think the the accusation was similar, I guess, to uh, Ed's disgruntlement is that he didn't challenge enough for it. Want of a better term, he was probably never going to win it, but he didn't do enough to actually put them off or stop them. No, I don't think so. But I think I think this is the first time Totti Gomez has had 
probably um I think he's been riding a bit of a wave since he joined mm. Wolves, or at least since he broke through into the first team in what I think twenty twenty two. Is that right? January twenty two. Yeah. It's got in my head at least. And I think he yeah, I think he's been riding a wave and that's, you know, largely from the credit he's built and those performances and consistent performances he's been in. But it's a bit of a different challenge and I think it's not just today. I don't think he was fully convincing at times against Forrest nor against Burnley. And I think Gary O'Neill could have maybe picked up on that a little bit as well. You know, all well and good wanting to attack the game. But if you've got an out-of-form kind of left-back, he's maybe not always been a left-back. I know we signed him as a left-back from Estero years ago, but I'm sure he would have spent a lot of time given his um, size and stuff playing centre-back as well. I just I just think, it, it, yeah, it's a bit of a bizarre, maybe unnecessary decision and I think he kind of wanted the best out of Tutty where he's like oh well if I have him in he's gonna maybe I thought he would sit deep and he would be solid for us and he'd allow other players to push forward but no he very much got sucked into the action and if Gary O'Neill's taking accountability for that I think that's quite a mind-boggling tactical choice um why you would leave somebody who doesn't have the recovery pace he's not the slowest but he's not definitely not the fastest either especially on the turn why you would leave him so deliberately high up the pitch when he doesn't bring loads going forward. He brings a bit, but not loads. Well, that's what I sort of, my, my kind of thought process is in him starting is I take a guess, and this is very much just a, an assumption, but maybe someone like Hugo Bueno was suffering from this virus as well, because I think it was quite notable how he kind of highlighted Dawson and Lamina saying, oh, they are playing through it. But it doesn't say, and it implies that other people have had it. And I don't think Bueno's being standout, but he's slightly more of a natural player if you were going to play a left-back there for me than Toti Gomez, who seemed to be trying to play left-wing back despite playing at left-back. And those extra 10 yards further forward it is what left these holes that are, you know, a couple of decent West Ham players were able to exploit, unfortunately. And, you know, they, they did it again uh, as well. And, you know, whether you say it's on how we broke forward, it, it so frustrating to kind of concede a goal on the counter-attack anyway. But when it came from, you know, Lamina trying to play, you know, a hero ball um, to try and split a, a, a pack of about 18 players, <laughs> it, it, it's it's frustrating from a player who's got the experience and the, the nous not to try that where we did mm, i think there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of time though isn't there to to recover from that yeah um i i think yesterday the lack of creativity that we've all talked about i don't think we can then point fingers when we did try and create something i think there are times where we do have players like lamina and Eight Nori at times when he's played where they're forcing the play because if we don't, then we could quite happily pass the ball sideways and um, and play for a nil-nil from, from minute five. So I think from a, a counter-attacking in goal is disappointing to watch, but of course that was our game for so many years. Um, you'd think that most of those players that are still there from you know the, the glory days under Nuno should know that we can engage and take one of those fouls that Matt talked about earlier on in that move to stop that being an issue. And yeah, I think it, the, the graphic that you had earlier, all those balls in from Paqueta are exactly where Toti Gomez normally is in a back three. So we clearly, for whatever reason, although 
you know, Gary, and to shout him out again, Gully's right that we are in a back four when we do have the ball. That's still that's Totti's area in a normal game, and he wasn't there yesterday, and no one was because you know Dawson is not he's not the one to play left centre back now against Kudus and Bo- Bowen, who are both probably quicker on one leg than than he is on <laughs> two, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, it was frustrating. And, and you mentioned about these tactical fouls, and it, I think it's important to note that Wolves weren't completely bereft of um, creativity and did kind of carve up bits and pieces and had some nice sequences of play. But West Ham also are, are a physical team, and yeah, that's, that's some nice by David Moyes, don't get me wrong, and they, they all know how to throw themselves about. Um, and that would have been one of my reasons to probably go with a, you know, if, if you're going for a back four, I'd probably had three centre midfielders in there, just have a bit more weight in there. Um, however, you, I was going to say, it could be argued, it can't, because it's fairly non-debatable, um, it's the, I think the tactical fouling and stopping of the creative play was taken slightly too far by uh, Kufau, um, who I have watched it back many a time now, um, and I cannot get my head around how, how that's not punished at all. I, I, I cannot, I, I cannot work it out. So the only thing I was thinking with this, um, and that's because it was actually what went through my head at the time, was when I saw it, I thought, God, that looks nasty. And one of the things that's not been picked up, loads, you look at David Moyes' reaction to the tackle, he's absolutely horrified with it. But one of the things that I think was maybe Sufal's saving grace was that you don't see, I don't think I've seen a challenge like that since Ben Thatcher on Pedro Mendes like 17 years ago. And I think sometimes when you've not seen it for so long, you kind of think, you know, it's not on, it's not a textbook sending off in some ways. It is a red card for so many reasons in the referee's hand guide or whatever it is they read. But I think that was maybe the one thing that saved him was just, it was so out there and so ridiculous that that's maybe why Jared Gillett, who as we all know is um, very reluctant to give a decision um, at times and also very eager at others um, to, yeah, to make, to well, to not make that call. Wasn't it was bizarre guess... though how um, like the reaction from the players was, yeah, well, maybe of shock and awe because I think like he just pats him on the back, walks off. There's no major hoo-ha there's no you know i just thought with a challenge like that all it would have caused a scuffle there'd be multiple reds mm. there's going to be headbutts thrown all sorts but it just happened existed someone threw a judas effect elbow and then and that and that was it it was just <laughs> i've never known anything like it but like I... jeff stelling this morning on Talksport, he was absolutely aghast with the with the challenge it's two red cards in one offense it's just bizarre um... I think you've touched on something really interesting there, Matt. The similar in a way, I guess, to Kilman's um, getting nearly headbutted against uh, yeah. Fulham a few weeks back, and the fact that I don't know his his reaction of you know I'm, I'm not going to rise to it either 
uh, passively and feign feign injury or aggressively and knock the bloke out. Uh, I, 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 part of me is glad we are not that emotion-led team in a way that, you know, we saw against Brentford and Aston Villa. And it's like, you compare what Emmy Martinez got sent off for yesterday, right? Where like, he tries to pick a player by the show. It, it's all like Adam Dram, isn't it? Hmm. But surely the referee's like main job is to protect the player's safety. That is what they're there for. Everything else is kind of window shopping, in my opinion. You want to make sure that actually you're protecting the players from getting injured. And like Matt, you, you're a uh, you're a solid, hearty fullback like myself. You, you're back <laughs> back in the day, um, but. Politely, he he's very clearly looked to do him do him in there. There's no oh, intention. We've all done it. Like, the winger's quick and I'm slow. I'm gonna nush. I'm gonna push him. But the fact that he's clearly raised his elbow, yeah, or like raised his arm, and I think the only saving grace is the fact that he didn't like fully catch him. I guess mm. it head right. But it, it just for mine, it's. I think it's like a, a, it's an elbow led block as opposed to like a swinging of an elbow, which is probably the only yeah. thing that's possibly mm. saved him as it being like a violent conduct offence, as bizarre as that is. When you watch it like in a slow motion replay, the movement of, of is almost as better God, not goes towards him in any way, but it's it, that's almost the way, like he's turning his body in that. And I think that's the only thing the referee surely as 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 used as an excuse because i mean will we get the audio of this i don't know you know gary o'neill very much has been i think in this game he wants to dull down any talk about like his you know yellow cards and and var and everything because it's becoming a bit of a cliche running joke now but if there was ever a case for it i mean it's the proofs in the pudding what we've got on the screen yeah and there's an accumulation point as well that wasn't the only challenge from mm. Far, was it there was what five Four or yeah. five, he and he got one, but he got a booking, yeah. and that was it. He didn't even get a you know a warning to say you know any more of that. He just, um, Jared Gillett is um, if it was it was him yesterday, wasn't it? it you know, yeah. yeah. Last year you couldn't go up and 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 you know quote well Mario Lamina certainly couldn't go up and, and ask him to explain a decision without getting sent off. Yet someone yesterday mm. gets an elbow to the face and seems to be all okay with the Aussie. Yeah, and. Part of me does quite like and respect that Wolves are a little bit more calm for stuff like that. But, you know, if you can sort of see the picture, it's very much on the side of the, um, you know, on the benches and things like that. And I don't know, a year ago um, or, you know, six months plus ago, I'd have been intrigued to see what the reaction would have been with the likes of, let's say, Neves playing and some of the other... Diego Costa as well. Yeah, Mm. Diego Costa would have been right over there, wouldn't he? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. The only thing is, we got the slightly more mild Diego Costa, didn't yeah. we? So I don't know if he would have kind of, you know, recognised um, the kind of bruteness in his heyday yeah. or something, and think, oh, next generation of me. Respected. <laughs> I remember when we did the Leeds game map last season, and that was like the polar opposite of game management, yeah. and we suffered equally for it. And Wolves had so many chances to win the game, the one at Molyneux. But the game management was just absolutely atrocious. I know Johnny... Was it just... Mateus Nunes got sent off from the bench as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like a... 
the, the differences in between the two, it was kind of like one was the calm before the storm, like like we we never acted, and one was the storm. In the, we've gone too far the other way almost now. Like we're a bit too passive in in those. I remember. Mm. I don't know if it was like a. I think people bizarrely put it down as like a Neves thing, in that since Neves has left, we're not like an emotionally um emotionally charged team anymore which was bizarre because he was never like the most up and down screaming he was a bit you know cunha throws was, himself around he, he did he did yeah. a, he did whinge a lot though didn't he never he was always whining he, he did like a he did like to um just talk through a lot yes yeah I think um, as well matinho is probably a big loss in that sense because he was constantly around the ref but he was yeah. quite clever i thought he was one of the cleverer ones about it actually and like Maybe not. I mean, I don't think Lamina did much wrong, did he? But obviously, I think Martino yeah. was one of the two players. I think it was Martino and Neves, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And it was the red card. Yeah. So, in- interesting, uh, yeah, mindset for players. And I guess, I don't know, like, even at 2-0 down, going into half-time, because this is a slightly different wall side now, I was always, conf- I was always confident that we'd get a goal, and actually we'd test them, and I thought into the second half, so nearly did. Um, great bit of play, really well worked. Um, Srabi with a tap in. Um, but unfortunately, it turns out that Srabi also wears clown shoes <laughs> and ended up being offside. And look, the, the, the idea, the VAR isn't why we lost this game. Let, 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 let's be abundantly clear. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I know. I, I, I can physically see on, on my screen that oh, we, we've got our lines. But it's foot ain't that big, is it? Uh, I, I, it? The only thing is about this is aren't we to the millimeter offside is offside? I think Stu's drilled that into yeah. me over that over that long that I've kind of just given in. To if I'm gonna to have to let Stu be right about something, it might as well be something well, like this. Although, let's be honest, peak Stu though would be him sending me a a WhatsApp uh, this morning of all things with the image I've shown on the screen saying, "If you want to use this later to squash this ridiculous discourse, that it wasn't offside." <laughs> <laughs> it's it, you are right. Like it's, it just be just again, yeah. The it, more interesting than this is. Um, Ammo for the nameless Sarabia haters to say he should never have been in the position that he was in, <laughs> back by mm. you know, half a half an inch to it, or you know, it's a strange one, really. Um, you know, is, is he ahead of the play, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. It's just one of those things. Like bad day at the office is probably a little too kind, but when it goes wrong, it goes it tends to go spectacularly wrong for us, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a frustrating so. I mean, one, I'm, isn't it? Go on, yeah, Go definitely. On. Sorry. Um, no, I mean, I thought Sarabia was one of the better players in that game, and you're just really hoping when he scored. I mean, I, I had the thing I was, you know, watch, uh, watching it on Sky Go on my laptop, which is normally a minute or two behind, and I had the score notification up on live score, which I just hadn't got rid of. So I'd seen that Wolves had scored and I was like thinking in my head, who do I want this to be? Who do I want this to be? And I, and I think I just reached a conclusion of Sarabria before that ball's come in and he scored. I think either him or Belgard. And um, yeah, it's just absolutely good because it still showed the goal for ages. Obviously, what was it? Three and a half minutes mm. at least. It felt a lot 
longer. But as soon as it went past a minute, just the look we've had, you just never thought we were getting that decision. No, I, I, I called it as offside as soon as I saw it because I just thought he was leaning forward. I didn't see it as close as it is on the screen right now. I thought he was offside and told everyone um, to, you know, to calm down. Um, he's definitely gone offside. I, I was more gutted for Samedo to get a, an assist, to get some kind of goal return yeah. from Samedo for to silent the, 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 you know, the silent majority that still seem to hate him for no apparent reason. You know, he got into the box, he broke in and he put a, the cross exactly where it needed to be. And yeah, you know, Sarabia, instead of being a size eight, is a size nine and taps it in. It's, uh, I, I, I was more gutted for Samedo. Um, for me personally, I just think it'd be nice for him to get an assist or a goal or just something to sort of justify his solid play that he does all season and yet gets a lot of flack still. Yeah, it's always going to be the case, isn't it? I think with, with Samedo. Um, but slightly, I've seen what Doherty's like when he's played this season, so I know which one I'd rather have. Um, <laughs> it did sort of feel like, I know, I, I had this confidence that oh, we'd get a goal and we'd at least make it interesting. But I think as soon as we didn't score that, it did feel like the wind had been very much taken out of our sails and... You know, three 0 at Bay, which became a formality at that point. Um, again, similar similar difficulties and frustrations with the first two goals, unfortunately. Hmm. There was, I mean, it was coming anyway. We were the ball was an inch away from going in when Bentley was stood statuesque uh, for the Boeing chance earlier, wasn't it? So yeah, I think it was on. It was going that way, um, and you, it's one of those if not if not when Bowen kind of got uh, some form of um, reward for his work. He's an incredible player um, for them. You know, he will be down as a cult hero before too long, if not already for West Ham. So it felt like it was all of this, all, all of the variables just felt against us. And um, again, can you say it was like one of the worst team performances of the season? No, I don't think you can, but, some of the individual moments were ones that would, you know, definitely make a bloopers DVD. So yeah, it's a frustrating one. Yeah. I was hastily nodding my head when you said, can you call it one of our worst performances of the season? <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, only for you to say, no, it wasn't, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that's left the sourest taste in my mouth is the substitutions like on when, you know, it's not, I don't mean it's coincidence that S Sasha and um, Silver, you know, Percy's broke that news today, which I know you said talk about later, but, you know, it's just so disappointing now. not to see them get involved. Um, you know, for what it's worth, it doesn't seem like they're being bad characters. And you're prepared to have them on your bench every week. Mm. You know, at least put them on at 2-0 down. Like, you have literally nothing to lose, like, or 3-0 down whenever it was. Like, I don't think we're going to be judged on goal difference later in the season. Maybe that's too soon to say, but... Yeah, it just felt like such a missed opportunity to at least experiment in a Premier League match against a team that will like will really want to protect a clean sheet as well. You know, that's something David Moyes prides himself on, isn't it? So, yeah, just so uh, that was the thing I think that left me the most disappointed um, after the match was the substitutions, and I think you know maybe maybe a, a bit too annoyed with Gary O'Neill on this occasion because I, I haven't been generally, but I, I particularly was yesterday. I think it's interesting that we talk, you know, conflicting ideas about where, where it ranks in terms of our poor performances. And I don't know, like, 
weirdly, it wasn't as bad as some of the performances where we've got points in. And I think, I don't know, maybe this is having a manager who has somewhat more of a style and is trying to implement more progressive ideas in this team. But it's almost like, you know, he gets the leeway when it's not always necessarily going our way. Um like like today, but actually, you know what, there are still positive things happening. But almost more of a frustration comes from when we are getting these draws against teams around us and who we'd be expecting to get three points against, but only kind of mustering up a draw or, you know, we're scraping it against Burnley. And mm. I think that's where it becomes frustrating. It's almost like Wolves are a middle average <laughs> team with, you know, siphons of inconsistency you know same as West Ham I was just thinking then when Michael was talking and it's only just come to me now as we were talking about it is this a missed opportunity for Gary and just to go balls out and change the team if we've got three players playing with a virus and a couple potentially on the bench then why are we shoehorning players into positions they're comfortable in but not perfect in when if you wanted to try four at the back, why don't we go all out and go four at the back and, and bring him one of those strikers that we've got up front and play Cunha in a floating role? You know, why not just go, if we are on, hiding to nothing and, you know, Gary O'Neill can come out afterwards and say, well, we didn't play Cunha, we didn't play Lamina, we didn't play Dawson because they're all shitting through the eye of a needle, you know? Then we we've he's got an inbuilt excuse to say we had to try and do this because I didn't have all of my squad available. And it kind of gives him the freedom from not necessarily criticism, but a little bit more leeway from criticism to say, well, I was missing three of my key players. So I tried something different. And if it, if it didn't work, it didn't yeah. work. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know. don't know. Let, well, mate, let put, put this out there straight away. None of us know nothing about the inner workings of the, of, of the transfer budget or anything like that. We, uh, me and Michael might eat the buffet at Molyneux every like twice a month, <laughs> but we like we have no we have no more insight. We don't listen else. anyway. Exactly, but it's one of those things where like is is this a plea from Gary O'Neill to say, look at what I'm working with? I want to play a style, and I don't have the players to do it. That that kind of gets banded around in situations like this, doesn't it? Um, it's one of those where actually he, he clearly has a, 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 I want to say a philosophy. I don't know if you want, want to attribute a philosophy to what we've watched, but he has a way that he wants to play and he and he's very quick to say when it's gone wrong and when it's gone right. And, you know, I commend him in a way to, to sticking to that and wanting to use utilise the people that he feels have earned the places in the team. But, there are times to experiment and there are times to not experiment. And when your hand is forced with players being out, like Ed, you put so well that, yeah, do something. I mean, let's, unless his heart is 100% set on letting Sasha and Silver go, surely the, be, like the, the best course of action is to give them minutes to impress. So you, he has a, a decision to make on whether to keep one, if not both of them. But they're on a hiding to nothing. They can't, you know, they turn up every game. I know that, you know, Kalizic had threw his toys out of the pram a little bit. Was it Luton, I think? But yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't a Jotty, uh, uh, Johnny uh, elbow and spitting scenario. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's, it's, it's a bizarre and a slightly unsavory set of circumstances for a player that came back, yes, got injured, 
Um, but we all fell in love with him after the documentary and he's obviously put a lot of his own personal self into his, you know, getting back into the team and scored a ridiculous goal um, or contributions in terms of like the Everton goal and everything else for them to like be leaving in the, in the, in the January window, is just something not right about it. Yeah. yeah. It, one it, of the, I'm um, oh, sorry, Richard. Yeah. Go on. I was, I was just going to probably say well, something very valid. <laughs> Before the, before I don't think mine's going to be much better. But before we did, um, before he did his knee injury, obviously we got him from Stuttgart, didn't we, in Bundesliga? Mm-hmm. And one of the guys who I do, I do a European football one as well, and he does all the Bundesliga stuff. And he's absolute. He was absolutely obsessed with Kleidzic as a player. Now I know there's a slightly different level, tempo, style of game. Strikers do probably tend to fare a little bit better in Germany, but I think there's a serious player that I thought we saw in signs in pre-season as well, and yeah, I think like Matt said, it just feels such a waste, and you know, Kalajic isn't the only player who's kind of throwing his toys out the pram and a bit, you know, obviously Johnny, I think that's a whole, wholly different incident, but Pablo Sarabia did, I can't remember which game, it was after the Spurs one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He didn't really see mm-hmm. much of the action, but you know, he's been reintegrated, and Maybe it will be in the cup game, the festive fixtures. I, I still think that's the only reason why there's a slight chance of reprieve for one of them, but I really don't think it will be um, Fabio Silva. No. Yeah, and and all my worry is at the moment, Kuna's our only main central forward. Yes, he might play Huang there, but I think in terms of a player who you've got front and centre, nearest to goal, in the middle of the park, um, I feel like I've put a lot of parameters on just saying centre forward there. Um, <laughs> just, just a load of, I feel like it's a Fabrizio um, Romano treat. Just, just all these extra words add the call to the conversation. Um, <laughs> I should probably get back on track, shouldn't I? Yes, uh, my point is that all we're going to do is like just knacker him out because he doesn't like or trust the other two centre-forwards on the bench. And it's only going to be a detriment to us. And I, I, I don't think Kuhn was great yesterday. He had that shot from outside the box, which was solid. But I know, sort of at 3-0 down, part of me is going, just consolidate yourself. Give him, give him a break. Got a couple of big games coming up. Let's just or just make try something different, or I don't know. The way I see it is, um, he had sort of two choices for me: keep the back five because that seems to be working. Unfortunately, these players culturally at the club suit a back five. I don't know what it is, and despite the fact we've had changes in defence, in midfield, and up front. There's something that kind of works for this group of players. Maybe it's a wing-backs. That's the only thing that's been sort of fairly consistent. Play three centre-halves then. Just keep it the same. If you're worried about your left wing-back, play Toti there. He might be okay. He'd be better there and have that solid framework and having various safety and numbers if that's the issue. Mm. And I don't know. I, I, I just don't... For all the positives that we did... I don't think, and evidently we didn't do enough to battle West Ham on their strong points and really kind of go toe-to-toe with them because, similar to us, they're, they're an average team. They are a team who will finish between 8th eight, eight, eight and 
13th, which is most likely where we're going to end up. And let's say their last two games have been, you know, one drubbing and one, you know, hammering. And it somewhat evens itself out for them, I guess you'd argue. Whereas, where is it kind of put Wolves? And mm. the answer's, you know, not necessarily in a great place, especially when, you know, we look ahead to the upcoming fixtures and where we can't sit at the moment. I mean, again, I don't think anyone's sort of too worried and concerned about relegation as we, uh, we're we nearly at the halfway mark in, in the season. You know, we're comfortably clear of um, the relegation zone. You know, we're ten, 10 points clear of it at the moment. Admittedly, Luton have a game in hand after uh, their game was... was say, abandoned sounds too harsh, um, a, a word for what can't happen, but their game wasn't able to continue, unfortunately. But you know we're thirteenth at the moment, and it and it's still quite a busy pack. But when you take into account that Everton have had a six point dedu- uh, sorry six point deduction, a ten point deduction, which would bring them on to twenty six, that drops us down another place, I guess. Mm. And you know we, we've got three very interesting fixtures in the space of a, a of a week um, with the Christmas Eve game of all lovely days against Chelsea at home. Then we're away to Brentford on the day after Boxing Day and then at home against Everton on um, the 30th of December. And it almost feels like these could... I don't want to speak too badly, but we kind of need six points out of these games. So- yeah, it's, it's funny because actually... Um- we could be overtook by a Bournemouth team that were dead in the water about five games ago that everybody tipped for relegations that, you know, moves around quickly, the table, um, not like in, in panic stations or anything like that, but you know, the table does definitely change around this time of year. The, you know, the fixtures are coming thick and fast. The irony is I probably feel more confident against Chelsea than I would have done against West Ham um, going into that fixture. I think you know. Looking at them, we're looking at a win, a draw, and a loss in that order in those in those fixtures. To be honest, I think we're going to be doomed to have some of the worst games of our season in terms of style and uh, both teams against Brentford, which is going to be like a trilogy of games in about the yep. space of two days or yeah. something stupid. Um, so it's yeah, a weird set of fixtures there where absolutely any result could happen in any three of the fixtures. I think you could argue. Everton are in a, a rich vein of form, aren't they? So it doesn't hurt that we play them last, you know, if they had a slip up in between now and then and halt their momentum. Yeah, there's enough there's enough time for Dominic Cavalloon to get injured before then as well, right? So he could pick up the Christmas turkey on Christmas Day and, you know, injure himself, couldn't he do that? So that's, that's something we can hope for. But we could, uh, you could argue quite comfortably we'll pick up seven points or two points out of those three games. It's... Chelsea are a, a Jekyll and Hyde team. Brentford are flattering to deceive and they are kind of on a, a slight slump. And um, yeah, Everton are flying at the moment, but all it will take is an injury to Dominic Calvert-Lewin or, or Dwight McNeil to have a bad game and they're lacking creativity as well. Um, so that could easily be a, a very dull nil-nil um, on yeah, the back of, let's hope we get some points before then. Yeah, I think oh, one of the good things about... Oh, sorry. Um... On Richard, no crack, crack on, crack on. Um, thanks. I was just gonna say, I mean, one of the good things about these festive fixtures is, is that we generally do tend to play the occasion quite well. 
I think this like the West Ham two o'clock. I mean, I know it was on TV, but I'm not sure many people outside of uh, us two would have been uh, fan fan bases from our two clubs would have been too interested. Uh, and then I think, yeah. So Chelsea, I think that's quite good in that sense. Brentford are on a terrible run of form, and Everton will be the toughest of those three games potentially. But I think all those three teams, we're also the exact type of team that they want to play at the moment, which I think in itself gives them extra motivation. So it does increase the stakes in a sense. And I think when the stakes, the stakes will be high for these three games because these are the types of games that will shape our season. So we do not get next to anything out of it. I think that's when alarm bells start to ring a bit more as well because Gary O'Neill, I'm pretty sure with Bournemouth last season, his worst period was about from this time up until they played us in February or something and they you know, scrapped out a 2-0 win and then they kind of kicked on again towards the end. Mm. Okay. Um, you don't have... We're not going to do game by game um, because as uh, rightly discussed, it could be seven, it could be two. Um, and who who knows how we're doing any of them. But out of the three games, what do we all think we're going to end up point-wise? Uh, I would put my I'd put my hat on four points out of them. Like I say, a win a, a win a loss a draw. I think pretty much like sums up the average middling mm. season we probably are having and will have. You know, I, I'm keep the Christmas thing going. I'm hopeful for five gold rings. Let's go for five points. Ooh, an unbeaten pound. Unbeaten. I, well, I think we can go unbeaten now. I think Gary Gary's got to shore up shore up shop a little bit. Uh, I can see us beating um, Chelsea. I genuinely can. I'll be there on Christmas uh, Christmas Eve with my boy. Um, we'll be one of the idiots going on Christmas Eve. And then let's just take two boring 1-1s one or 0 nil out of the other two games and just come away from the Christmas period happy for once. I'll go either... Oh, I'll go for three points. So I'll be a bit more of the Grinch in this one. But I'll either go for one win out of the three, which I think will probably be most likely against Brentford away from home, even though our away form isn't great. I just think they're in a really bad place at the moment. Um, or three nil-nil draws. Ooh-wee. highlights. Oh, three, oh, no, oh, not in but... absolutely say this to me. would love that. <laughs> from a content perspective, it's awful. But, you know, from a carb, it's brilliant. Yeah, well, three points gives me two nice options. So, um, as long as we don't, yeah, whatever happens in the first game, it's still on, isn't it? So yeah. that's all yeah. I've done for it. You sort of could. Uh, similar, I, I'm in the same thought process from that. I, I'm thinking win one, lose one, draw one. And you could literally pick a name out for hat for which one it's going to come against. Um, preferably, I'd almost rather lose to Chelsea and then win against uh, draw. I'd rather lose draw than win in terms of the three games that are coming up, just because. I think that's that would be better for us uh, positionally. Well, but... I'd want to be able to shove it down Stu's throat because you know he's if Everton beat us, he'll secretly be wanking oh, in the corner over Sean Dyche. So you're having a wretched that would power thousand suns. Yeah. He's a big fan Sean of Sean Dyche, Michael. Just so you know, rolled into the town. I am see, as well, but I'm not see... sure that much. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you've got, and we've got this young British manager trying to play, you know, an interesting style of play. And Sean Dice just swings in with his big crosses. Yeah, no, I, it, it's fine. 
It's He'd probably fine. get the most out of Kalajic, though, to be fair. Yeah, he would. He would. Stick There's a swap. Back, he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he'd, he'd use them for the last 10 minutes to get something out of the game. Um, right. Before we wrap up, um, I promised you a silly question, didn't I? You did. Right. You did. Let's, uh, I, I'll do one and I'll save I'll save you one for when we're we're struggling again, probably on Christmas Day. Uh, but we're not we're not doing a podcast on Christmas Day. Um, don't worry. But anyway, so my question is: What is your favourite culinary sensation? So mine. So uh, this happened when I had dinner the other night. Where it came to me, and I thought, well, you know, you know what happens. You know, it's great when you're having dinner on a Thursday night podcast ideas anyway the sensation <laughs> of when you cut into a chicken kiev and it all kind of spews out it's like, oh, just perfect or like the crackling on a bit of pork and like the sound that it makes like i've spread a knife over it that's become cook. like a like a tiktok a, a, almost, like food, food has almost, become like an asmr thing now yes. where you can't just eat food? food without caressing no, no, it no, with yeah. some audio sense of the word well, I mean, my wife gets annoyed at me when um, she'll ask, is it ready yet or is it done? And I, say, and I will say something like, it sounds like it's done because you can hear the sizzle on it. And it's like, well, if it's got a sizzle, then it's, it's clearly reached the exact temperature that's going to be perfect for cooking, regardless of the integrity inside of it. So I guess what is your food ASMR? I know what mine is comfortably. So... Um... As a, as a vegetarian Jesus who's like a carnivorous, like a carnivorous vegetarian, um, I like the things that taste as much like meat as possible. Um, so I'll eat something. I'll bring like I'll try a new product. I'll bring it home and I'll eat it. And then when the missus looks at me and goes, "Oh, it's it looks and tastes too much like meat," that gives me a little like bit of joy inside, and I don't know why. I can't put like an explanation on it, mainly because I know it's all mine and I won't have to share it. But that would be mine. Just so you know, Matt, there is there is a product called meat that's very much like meat, just in case you were... I, I, I heard, without any of the moral or ethical implications. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't think about the morals or the ethics of, of you know, the animal. If you do that, you'll never eat anything, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I quite like a fried egg, a, a fried egg with, you know, that just oozes everywhere. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan yeah. of a fried egg that does that, but this is thinking on the spot now. You don't, you don't get to look like this by really thinking or taking pictures of your food very much. <laughs> You just shovel it in as quickly as possible and hope there's more. Uh, I'll go for a bit of a festive one, and that's partly because of tonight. So I had, I think I had some cheese and crackers, but like a strong cheese and almost that like melt-in-your-mouth feeling. Yeah. Especially with like a nice blue cheese or something. But then my partner said, oh, should we have some chutney on it? I said, no, just enjoy it for what it is. But it's that enhancer or whatever mm. you call it. So yeah. that. When you realise it is actually better, and I'm wrong about food again, then yeah, I'd say that is um, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. Yeah, I mean, listen, these these are four white, fairly about thirty <laughs> year old dirty. guys that are talking about. But look, it's my cheese night tomorrow night, and I can't fucking wait, and I'm really <laughs> looking forward to it. And it's well, it's a Christmas tradition that's only been in in our household in the past like two or three years. But God, I'm all for it, and I can't. I was going to say that does sound like a solid. Um, yeah, tradition. I guess you can't. Uh, are you exclusively eating the soft cheese as well? I'm assuming, Matt. Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm on oh. solids. Um, oh, good. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just all about all of the all of the bits that come with it. The cheese, you're there for the cheese. The cheese is there and it exists. But I'm mm. there for the 
sun-dried tomatoes. I'm there for the chutneys. Oh. I'm there for the little bits that go alongside of it, the little pickled onions that you eat that when you bite the wrong yeah. one, you choke because it's too yep. sharp. Mm. Like, I'm all about that. I'm all about that life. Let's cancel the Wolves pod for next week. Let's just do buffet we, we chat. Do, we can yeah, do food I'm, I'm all for it. I'm down. I'm just cheese. It, yeah. Just cheese, man. It's just a cheese. Yeah. I mean, I like the bit on when you get like a cheese platter and like, I'm sure like most of you, you just have like cheddar cheese, sit, you know, all the time. But it's when like it comes in different packaging and it's like, oh, this is a bit different. Oh, this is how, it, this is how we do it on the continent. Oh, this is, yeah, this is how you package camembert. Well, I, there's no, there's no, other, there's, there's no other point, point in the year where I would get a truckle of cheese that had chive in it at any other point in the year other than Christmas where you get like loads of little things of cheese that are in candle wax. It's just yes. a magical time of year. Yes. It is. Oh. Yeah, let's sack off the pot and just do talk about food. <laughs> maybe, maybe we talk about football over food. And I mean, we've got, we've got commentators on. You know, basically, we could fill a gap in the market that's not existed in a couple of years now. Hey, I'm sure that's well, how football cliche started, or any of the other big ones. They just exactly. had an idea and they went with it, and next thing you know, they're setting out all UK doing, tours. All we're doing is stealing another idea. So, if, if, if that's <laughs> not what we've done for the past, exactly, if we've not, if that's not a fan cast for the past decade, I don't know what is. Um, I was going to say that seems like a uh, very apt point to end the show, but I'd rather talk about food for a bit longer and not spend 45 minutes talking about walls. But anyway, we'll, we'll find some other time to talk about food, um, chiefly because I'm getting hungry. But we'll leave it for today, uh, folks. Big thanks to everyone who's uh, listened uh, to the show. Um, not quite sure if we'll, do, we'll have time to fit a Chelsea preview show in, but uh, we'll try. Obviously, we won't be doing a review show the day after the Chelsea show, but we'll do a double header um, following the Everton game as well, so we, we can keep you up to date with all the Wolves, Lols and Trolls. Uh, make sure you follow Wolves Fancast and all the usual places Facebook, Twitter Instagram, and of course YouTube for anyone who's watching online um, on there already, and if you listen on to a podcast, make sure you subscribe as well because you have other content as well and also a plug for Michael's new podcast as well, World Ranking Pod and I'll take a brief and say it's goodbye from Matt. Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Have a fantastic Christmas. Um, set on cage fighting, if anybody has listened. It's, a, it's a, an incredibly stressful time of year, and people put a lot of pressure on themselves to have the perfect Christmas where people just want you to be happy um, with your loved ones. So don't uh, put yourself through the mill of trying to, uh, you know, be that, have the best Christmas possible. Uh, our DMs are always open. Mine are as well. If anyone's struggling and uh, needs someone to talk to over Christmas, do not be a stranger. Fantastic. Uh, it's goodbye from Michael. Yeah, thank you very much for having me back on. It's been a while, but um, yeah, I'm going to keep it. That was much nice message from that, an important one, and I can not with. But yeah, I think my DMs are open as well, but you know where to get anyway. It's goodbye from Ed. Yeah, can't beat what Matt said. So everything Matt said, get some cheese in. Yeah, <laughs> what what a message to end the show on everyone. Uh, yeah, have a great Christmas if we don't speak to you beforehand, and have a great day. <laughs>